Welcome to Cat Talk Radio with your host, Molly DeVos. Molly is a cat expert and certified feline training and behavior specialist. With her expertise and her guests, you'll learn how to interpret and control behavior issues with your cat, how to entertain and converse with them, and keep up on the latest feline news around the world. Now, here is Molly DeVos. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Cat Talk Radio. I'm your host, Molly DeVos, and today we're going to do something a little different. I'm interviewing Deborah Goldstein, and Deborah is the author of the Sarah Blair Cozy Mystery Series. Her series follows a fictional human, but there's a cat named Ra-Ra. That's, of course, the tie-in to Cat Talk Radio, and Ra-Ra is <laughs> clearly the star of the series. He's on every book cover. I mean, just it, her books are worth buying for no other reason than the cover because there's these delightful illustrations and it, it's you should definitely see them. And the series, there are um, four books so far in the series. One is coming out uh, now about this time. We're, we'll talk about primarily today. And, and that book is called Four Cuts Too Many. There's also Three Treats Too Many, Two Bites Too Many, and One Taste Too Many. Sounds like a cat behavior issue in the making to me. <laughs> and so welcome to Cat Talk Radio, Deborah. Molly, thank you for having me today. I'm delighted to be here. I'm glad you're here. I want to read, I want to start out by by reading the description of four cuts too many so people kind of get an idea of, of what they are. It's obviously a, a mystery series. And, uh, and then I got a bunch of questions for you. So... Four Cuts Too Many, it says, between working as a law firm receptionist, reluctantly pitching in as a co-owner of her twin sister's restaurant, and caretaking for her regal Siamese Rara and rescue dog Fluffy, Sarah has no time to enjoy life's finer things. Divorced and sort of dating, she's considering going back to school. But as a somewhat competent sleuth, Sarah's more suited for criminal justice than learning how many ways she can burn a meal. Although she wouldn't mind learning some knife skills from her sous chef, Grace Winston, an adjunct instructor who teaches cutlery expertise in cooking college, Grace is considering accepting an executive chef's position offered by Jane Clark, Sarah's business rival, and her late ex-husband's lover. But But Grace's future lands in hot water when the school's director is found dead with one of her knives in his back. To clear her friend's name, Sarah must sharpen her own skills at uncovering an elusive killer. That sounds interesting. And so I'm assuming, of course, Sarah Blair is your fictional human in in the mystery series, right? She's your main character? She is. She's my protagonist. And she is a woman who finds being in the kitchen more frightening than murder. (laughs) I can relate to that. So could I. <laughs> That's why I wrote her that way. <laughs> I wondered. I was going to ask you if there was some of you in that character. Uh-huh. <laughs> and so, and 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 you describe her as a as a somewhat competent sleuth, but it doesn't sound like she does that professionally, right? Does she work with the police or a private detective, or how does that work? 
she bumbles into it. Molly, the, um, the, the premise of her was that she was married at 18, basically dropped out of school after two weeks, got married to the love of her life, she thought. But by 28, she was divorced when he started running around with the bimbo. Mm-hmm. She um, ended up swapping her luxury lifestyle to live in an efficiency apartment at that point with the only thing she got out of the divorce, which was Ra-Ra the cat. And sounds Ra-Ra like, and she... It sounds like she needed a better a life d- divorce attorney. <laughs> <laughs> I think she probably did, but she got the best thing out of it by taking Ra-Ra with her. Because in the end, Rara becomes her landlord. So there's a lot of good factors in there. Hmm. Interesting. Interesting. And she has a dog too, right? Yes. In the um, later second book, Fluffy comes along. Fluffy is a rescue dog who'd been running around the neighborhood who her neighbor manages to coax into trusting him. But unfortunately, when he is injured, Somebody has to take over the dog. So her mother, Mabel, um, volunteers Sarah to take the dog. Now we find by the time we get to Four Cuts Too Many, Sarah can't imagine how her life would be anything else but having Ra-Ra and Fluffy in it. And for a person who, you know, who never had pets, it's amazing how one becomes attached and loving to them. Absolutely. The foster failure, we call that, right? (laughs) And, And so she not only has... Raw, raw, and fluffy, but another I think our listeners will find as a very interesting aspect to this is she volunteers at a shelter walking dogs. Tell us about that. Yes, I've wanted to in all my books. I wanted to have sub issues. Not these are mass market paperbacks, the kind of things that you read at the beach or a fun read or the thing you read next to your night table at night. But I wanted to make sure I had some heavier issues in there that didn't beat you over the head. And one of those issues was animal rescue. I brought the shelter in not only to show the side where some of the animals end up, but that if we educate people, we can create shelters that are no kill, even though that's a percentage will be killed, but we can save cats and dogs. And in order for her to be involved in it more than just a spectator, I found that a lot of the shelters here need people to come in and volunteer to walk dogs, to do different things. So I made her and her boss weekly volunteers at our Wheaton, Alabama created shelter. Oh, that's great. And do you yourself um, have experience with shelter volunteering? I have more of experience of knowing about it. I haven't done it on a regular basis like she is doing, but I have done it just walking, you know, on the one time, two time basis, not the weekly basis. Yeah. Yeah. And what, in, what inspired you? Go ahead. What I was going to say, but I also made Sarah in the early books, as she gets involved, she helps do the fundraising. This is a woman who was not confident in herself, but she manages to bring out a Yip Yow Day, which is an animal um, parade and fundraiser for the shelter. Mm. And, she, and the more she gets into it, you see, that's the side I know the programming in very well of things. So I managed to have her evolve just as the shelter is evolving. Oh, that's, I cut you off. That's a, no, that's a good, uh, that's a great tie in. I like that. And what, what inspired you to include a cat in your stories? You're going to laugh at this, Molly. 
<laughs> when I wrote my first books, they, uh, one, the first book, Maze in Blue, which was not in the series, was a mystery on the University of Michigan's campus. It had students, it had no animals. My second book also had no animals. And again, it was not in this vein of books. But both of those were what they call orphaned. The publisher either went out of business or stopped doing mysteries. So when I had to come up with something new, I decided I still wanted to write either a cozy or a traditional with cozy elements. I like that. Those kind of books are small town or small enclosed space, like a retirement home. Those kind of books usually have a, a protagonist who is an amateur sleuth. You asked me, and that's the thing. She's an amateur. She does not work with the police. She does, you know, her things are by the skin of her pants and teeth, you might say. Mm -hmm. um, but they also have certain characteristics. And one of those characteristics is usually a cat or animals. So because of that, when I decided to write the cozy, I had to think about different things. Now, cozies also usually have cooking or they have crafts. Well, Molly, I don't like any of those items. <laughs> I'm not very good at cooking or crafts. And I said, oh, gosh, how am I going to write this? And that's how I came up with Sarah, because I figured if there were people like me out there, there had to be more readers like me. So mm -hmm. I created Sarah not to be a cook and to be frightened of the kitchen. Whereas I gave her a twin sister who is a gourmet chef. So I could have balance in recipes. But then I proceeded to bring in um, Rara and all just because it was fun. And because if I needed a cat, I wanted to do it on my terms. And you, which was I understand, and I understand you've never owned a cat, right? That's correct. <laughs> I, um, we, we had dogs when I was growing up. We had turtles and you know, some goldfish, but we never had a cat. And so I had to learn about the cats. Yeah, I was going to say, how did you, how did you learn about that and, and are able to give Rob Rob his distinct personality and describe his little catisms as well as you do? Well, there were two things involved. I did not want a cat that thinks out loud, nor did I want a cat that would speak, you know, open his mouth and speak. I wanted a cat to be real. So I went to some of the veterinarians and spent a day um, following them around or, yeah, to learn about that. But more importantly, I had a friend who has had cats forever and she's had Siamese cats. I went and interviewed her for three to four hours talking to her, learning from her what her cat does and observing what her cat did. Um, her cat, you know, was a little skeptical about me being there. Then her cat warmed to me and kind of rubbed a little on my leg, you know, these things. Then I, then she was talking about how the cat, when, he, when her cat was lovey-dovey, he'd get around her neck. And plus, um, I, I know that a cat can be mischievous and a cat can have brains. Um, as you know, from what you do, Cats have a mind of their own to some extent. So I wanted to put all that in. And the more I talked to Jean, the more she got excited and sent me more and more information about her cat. Plus, I read a lot Googling and things mm -hmm. and talked to other people. But the best thing Jean did was she sent me a picture of her cat after we'd finished. And when she sent me the picture of her cat, I looked at it and I said, oh, gosh, that cat's lovely. And I, as, is your, as, as is your late cat. So I looked at that cat. And when they asked me, Kensington called and said, do you have any ideas what you'd like your cat to look like? And I said, well, I kind of picked up this color and such from my discussion with her, but I basically described her cat to them. 
And they did all the artwork. They do these marvelous covers. Mm -hmm. But One Taste Too Many, that is almost a facsimile of her cat. They caught it perfectly. Sadly, her cat passed away in the time that I've been writing these books. But as she says, I still have the first book, which is exactly my cat. Oh, she's probably got it framed on her wall. (laughs) Yes, it's standing up, but I won't say she framed it. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it sounds like you're a perfect candidate for a cat foster, actually, right now. (laughs) I probably am, but um, we just downsized. I don't think we're going to do any animals for a little while. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, because I think fostering a cat would give you some amazing insight to... uh, to their behavior and, and such. And you also write, I noticed in the book, you mentioned that Sarah thinks Ra-Ra the cat might be a better communicator than most of the men she knows or have dated. And, and so you also know something about how cat owners think, apparently. Well, I do. And one of the things I noticed, the more I was playing with this and the more I got into, shall we say, Ra-Ra's behavior in mind, I realized that any animal, whether it's a dog or a cat, evaluates people. And if you are an owner and you trust what they're telling you and listen, sometimes you can get a better idea of the personality than you on your own would get from your own antenna. Mm-hmm. That, that's true. They have amazing instincts, amazing instincts. They really do. So have you, you've, you've never owned a cat, but have you owned um, dogs in the past? Have you had other pets? Yes, we've had dogs. Um, we had a, a toy poodle. We had Bichon Freeze. We've had, we've had insane dogs. We've had very calm dogs. And all of my kids own dogs um, of all different uh, sizes. But what they think, that, except for one, they all have in common that they're all rescues. Mm-hmm. My parents had a Bichon, and uh, she was just delightful. The best dog ever. Uh, so smart and such a sweetheart. We had one that took over the house, much like Rod Rod does. <laughs> so I got some of my ideas. Um, there's in one of the books that um, Rod Rod is doing some not so nice things. And that would be the kind of thing that our, our Bijan would have said, you know, let me take control of this situation. And, <laughs> and we would, yeah, you know, you couldn't change him no matter what you did. <laughs> and and tell us a little bit about Ra Ra. How would you how would you describe his personality and character? I think Ra Ra is loyal. The story of behind Ra Ra in the way the book started in One Taste Too Many, Sarah Blair's mother in law rescued him from the swirling waters of um, Hurricane Katrina. So the book set a little you know behind the present, and when she rescued him, he. Rara was just a little kitten. So one life was used then. But uh, Mother Blair ends up loving Rara. Unfortunately, when One Taste Too Many opens, Mother Blair has died and Sarah has ended up with the cat because her ex-husband, the rat, doesn't want the cat. And she's not about to let him go to a shelter or something. So she takes the cat, has, has taken the cat in. Uh, I would describe Rara from that point as very loyal. When she does, when he doesn't like somebody, he lets it be known. He's good at hiding. He's also good at taking over his favorite spots 
where the sun shines in the kitchen, the linoleum. He's also good at being the alpha male when, uh, when the dog comes into the picture in the second book. There's no question Fluffy, who's a she, follows Rara. If Rara wants the spot, Rara gets it. <laughs> Rara is the alpha male in this house, but Sarah doesn't know it. She just thinks she's the owner of the house. She does not know that Rara runs the whole show. <laughs> Everybody knows cats run the whole show. <laughs> now, you say when he doesn't like something, he makes it known. What kind of things do you, does he do when he's not happy with the situation? He can walk away. He can hiss. He can um, be, a, be a little bit mischievous. He can be a lot of, of troublemaker. In the, one of the books, um, One Taste Too Many, he doesn't like the bimbo, the one that the, the rat was having the affair with and such. And anytime that she is in the present, you better watch out because he's going to be there and he's going to let her know it. <laughs> Rara also protects Sarah. Even mm. though it, it's not an obvious thing, you find in the books that Rara is there. Rara is there both for comfort, Rara will arch her back and, you know, be defensive if she in, 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 and get into a, I won't say a fighting position, but you know what I mean, where they're about ready to pounce type position. If she feels this, if he feels there's anything that's going to endanger Sarah. Hmm. Interesting. Now, do, does he help her solve these mysteries? Not in the sense that some of the other authors use their cats. I really use Rara as a cat. Now, he is a wonderful sounding board for her. She often talks things out to him. And she sometimes will ask his opinion of something like, gee, this outfit or that outfit for when the first time she goes back on a date and Rara, by how he walks towards the outfit or aims his tail, gives her a very good idea which one he likes. Uh, <laughs> but, but no, he doesn't solve it. He does come into play in some of them at the very end, but for the most part, he is just a cat, but he is a primary character. And, and being a Siamese, if she talks to him a lot, I imagine he talks back a lot too. They're a very chatty breed. <laughs> he talks back, but he also, there are times where he just looks at her and he just lies, you know, cuddles up and goes to sleep. There are other times where she could swear that he's hearing everything she says. <laughs> They do that a lot. They kind of fake sleeping. <laughs> and then you have um, another character that I think is in all the books, right? And that's her twin sister, Emily, who's a chef. And, you, and the storyline seems to play off their polar opposites of one of the twin sisters, uh, of course, is so averse to the kitchen and the other is a is a aspiring chef. And, and there's food also on every cover of the books illustrated with the cat and, of course, in the titles. And um, so that leads me to ask you, are, you must be a foodie as well. Are you a foodie? I'm an eaty. Uh, <laughs> I'm not a really good foodie. Uh, to go back in his time, and, and two things that influenced this book, I am a mother of twins who are polar opposites, ah. but they are bo fraternal boy and girl. So that gave me one idea. I also have a sister who is a fantastic chef. I am not a cook. You know, I, I literally do the takeout and 
give me something prepared. So uh, let me put it this way. When I got married, they gave me a kitchen shower. I pulled out some very nice paper plates and napkins from somebody and somebody behind me quipped, oh, look, she got her good china. Uh, <laughs> but, but growing up, we had a pattern. We'd get home in the af late afternoon. My sister would chat on my mother, who was a good cook in the kitchen. I would plop down on the couch. And this would be about five o'clock in the afternoon and Perry Mason would come on. At 5.15, I would run upstairs to where our kitchen was. I'd empty the dishwasher and I'd set the table. At 5.30, I would do another little chore of getting ready for dinner. At 5.45, my father would walk in and I would wave from the couch, hi, dad. And just at six, dad would be ready for dinner. We'd all go to sit down just as the last um, credits would roll on Perry Mason. So we grew up. My sister can cook beautifully and I went into the legal field. So I felt that it was kind of fun to do the same thing with my characters. There are recipes in the book and then the type of things I would make, uh, the first book has Jello in a can, which was a real 1950s recipe. <laughs> it also has spinach pie made with Stouffer souffle. The more recent book, Four Cuts Too Many, has stained glass Jello, which I thought was funny, mm -hmm. egg salad, and a great tiramisu recipe. And one of the other books, I I spent my time doing wine coolers and such, and mm -hmm. one and the Three Treats Too Many, which has the cover with the soup with the rest in peace RIP with the cat looking at it. Uh -huh. Th that one has a lot of soups and things in it. That's fun. I did notice the recipes. I'm a big fan of egg salad. So I, I saw that recipe and I'm like, mm, that looks good. <laughs> well, the goal was to make recipes that were simple in the books or they were and that, and they were funny. And the funny thing for me has been going into when I've talked to groups and things, a lot of times, the, whatever the book I'm talking about, they will have made the recipes. And one of them, the, to me, the jello in a can is just a, a, a hilarious concept. So I walked in on one night and there was a sign that said murder brownies. <laughs> and there were some drinks set up to the side. And then there was this silver tray. And on it in different colors, sliced perfectly, was the jello in a can recipe. Oh, how funny. Because all it is is dull pineapple and jello. But it was hilarious. That's funny. That's clever. That's that's a good book club there. <laughs> I'd imagine your books make great book club topics. They're fun. They have because they all have an issue in them that people can discuss. They can also discuss the relationship between the twins. I'm always willing to come out and you know do a um, a, a thing like we're doing now with Zoom or something to a book group. Mm -hmm. um, and to discuss them. In fact, I'm doing one in a couple of weeks on the new book. They also have the interrelationship of the different characters. So between the sub-issues, which can range from economic development, uh, motorcycle clubs, vegan issues, animal issues, there's always something that people can talk about. And it's fun to see how they react because some people, you know, if, some people get hung up on whether she should be with this guy or that guy. Some people get hung up on, is the cat really getting due diligence? And, you know, and, and it's just kind of fun to see what people really want to talk about. <laughs> that would be fun. Where, you know, and where does his name come from? How, how did you come up with Ra-Ra? 
Raro was an accident. I originally was going to start with something that I was going to take, you know, play with something from the um, hurricane or something to, to refer back to it. And I started playing with initials, but somebody immediately looked at it and told me that what I had was probably not going to be politically correct, especially living and setting the book in the South. And I went, oh, no, I hadn't even thought about that. Mm-hmm. And so I said, well, I'm going to do something fun because that's what the books are. And I said, rah, rah. That's like a party. That's like a parade. And at the same time, it's just six letters. It's easy to say. And I liked it. And it just seemed to fit this cat perfectly. That's cute. I I like it a lot. I think it's a great cat name, (laughs) Rara. And and you have three books, well, four books now in the Cozy Mystery series that that feature Rara, the star cat, obviously. But you've written other books before that, presumably, that that don't have a cat in them, right? Yes. Maze in Blue, as I said, was a mystery on the um, University of Michigan's campus set in the 70s. And it had it, it had students and sororities and things like that, but it had no animals. Um, should have played poker. A Carrie Martin and the Mahjong Players mystery was set in a retirement home, and she was a young corporate attorney in the small town that I created. I like to use small southern towns in my books. Mm-hmm. And she, um, you know, there was mention of animals, but nothing was owned by anybody. So I didn't, it wasn't until I did this series that I really made the cats and the dogs part of it. And I wanted them, if they were going to be in the book, I just didn't want them to be throwaways. I wanted you to get to know them, to have scenes with them, you know, because I think it's important that, for example, when you're writing a book, I always hate it if I read them on page one about an animal and then it doesn't show up again until page 120. And I wonder, did it go to the bathroom? Did it get fed? All these little <laughs> things not mentioned. I think it's important, you know, did the dog get walked? Yes, we need to put those kind of things in, even if it's only first sentence, because if you care about an animal, you want those things there. Yeah. And do you you live in the South yourself? Yes, I'm a transplanted Yankee who has been in Birmingham, Alabama for almost a lifetime now. Uh, I came down here when I thought it was going to be a two year job and it ended up that I've stayed. I've raised my kids here and I'm married, I'm married a Southern boy. But I like writing about small Southern towns. Birmingham is, interestingly, as you asked me about being a foodie, Birmingham has become a real city of foodies. Um, We have Mm. Frank Stitt. We have a number of James Beard winners here. So we have some really good food. But I put us in Wheaton, Alabama, and I I created that city. I made it 15 uh, minutes away from Birmingham. So they're competing a little bit. They're trying to get people to the restaurant that they have created, the, um, the sister and her boyfriend mm-hmm. who are chefs. So I'm having fun with this, but I am in the South because it gives me so much fun to play with. Like when I did the Mahjong book, I used four Mahjong players who'd been together forever to be the comic relief. Um, and, and that's fun because you can do so much with different characters Plus, like in the Sarah Blair books, I have Sarah and her sister be today's generation, but mom, who's not even 60 yet, Maybelle, Maybelle is that pure Southern woman who can look at you, charm you, and tell you to bless your heart while she's doing it. 
<laughs> and size you up, right? <laughs> yes. And she is always in control, even if she, you know, you may think she's the most genteel person you've seen, and then you realize she's an iron or steel magnolia. <laughs> That's fun. That is fun. Now, I'm assuming your books are available to buy, like where you get books, Amazon and and the bookstores and Walmart and places like that, right? Yes. Um, all of my books can be found, the Amazons, the Barnes and Nobles, both online. They can be found in bookstores. If your local bookstore, your indie, which I always support, doesn't have it, they can easily get it in just a couple of days. A lot of them will be carrying it. Um, all four books of this series, Kensington has put them on every kind of platform you can think of. That's great. And I'm assuming there's more to come. We haven't heard the last of, of Rara. No, Rara, the fourth book, Four Cuts Too Many, comes out May 25th of 2021. And on May 12th, I'll be submitting the final version of Five Bells Too Many, B-E-L-L-E-S, which will be um, coming out in 2022. Ah, that so, sounds interesting. We're always, we're always ahead. Yeah, five bells like in Southern Bells, huh? Exactly. That's <laughs> going to be a fun one. <laughs> that is fun. And I, it's always, go ahead. No, I'm using a, um, a, a, a perfect wedding competition for that one, ah. for the Southern Bells. And it's always fun to read series where, you know, the characters are continuing to develop and they're going through their life and different, you know, different changes in lives and things. And it sounds like there's a lot here, not only with the relationship between the twin sister, but with her, you know, starting to date and, and discover and explore relationships along that line. And of course, you know, volunteering in the shelters. And it sounds like there's a, a lot going on in these stories. There is. And plus, I didn't want her to be static. So many books, something happens and the character is, you know, scared and timid. Well, she's, yes, yeah, she's scared when she comes out of the marriage because she has not been on her own for all these years, but she has to learn that she can stand on her own feet. So in the first book she evolves, by each of the books, she becomes stronger, not always perfect, but she gains more confidence. She gains more abilities. She still gets taken advantage occasionally, but she knows when she, that happens. And she knows the next time, maybe it won't happen again. She begins to be better at standing up for herself and exploring what she wants to do in life. Now, do you have, as an author already plotted out in your mind, is there is there an eventual end or does she get to a point in her life where it's over and you're done with this series? I haven't finished the series mentally because there's so much more that she can do. I want, if everything works out, I, I've been talking in Four Cuts um, and in Five Bells about her. She, she ran Yip Yow Day early in one of the books. I want her to do another fundraiser for the shelter. I want her to do one other activity so I want to see the, the shelter develop. I also want to see her move on beyond what she's doing and explore other things for herself. So I think there's a few more books left in the series. It's just a matter of, I'm hoping the readers agree with me. So yeah. far they have been, thank 
Well, hopefully all of our listeners today will will go out and and start the series. I'd, I'd say start in the beginning and you make it easy because it's one taste too many and two bites too many and three treats too many and four cuts too many. So you certainly know uh, which one in the series you're reading, right? Start at one and work your way up. <laughs> That's right. And if I can do a plug, which um, I don't usually do, um, Kensington, because of the new book coming out, is running all these promos on the early books, especially the e-version. So One Taste Too Many, they have down this month for, they're doing a May special for only $1.99 on the e-book. Oh, the uh, Two Bites Too Many, they're going to be doing a Kobo sale and a, um, some kind of a, 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 I think it's an Amazon sale. They're just doing it on Amazon, I believe it is, for $0.99 cents for this month. Three Treats to Money, they're doing, it's going to have a book bub ad. So from, I think it's the 17th to the 19th of May, you can get that one for 99 cents on, e, on ebooks. Then it goes back up to the $6 or something. Um, I mean, these books, even the paperbacks are only seven, anywhere from 6 to $8. So they're price pointed to something that can be read and enjoyed. Yeah. Oh, that's great. Well, that's good to know. You always feel free to put in plugs like that. <laughs> And these books are so cute. I, I, I mean, the covers, they're just, it's so well done. I don't know who they're using for your illustrator, but they've done an excellent job at that. So it's definitely worth, worth checking out. And I sure appreciate you being with us today. Well, I thank you for having me very much today. Yeah. And uh, like I said, all of our listeners go out there and, and find Deborah's books, Deborah Goldstein. It's Deborah H. Goldstein. And uh, don't think you can miss them and uh, jump into the mystery series because it sounds like they're a lot of fun. I think everyone will enjoy them. And uh, we appreciate you writing about shelters and their challenges and, and about our beloved cats as well. Well, thank you. I enjoy doing it. And if anybody wants to follow me um, or learn more about me, they can come to my website, which is DeborahHGoldstein.com. That's great. And and are you on Facebook as well and social media? I am. They can find me um, at HTTPS, www.facebook.com, Deborah H. Goldstein author. They can find me at Twitter at, at Deborah H. Goldstein, on Instagram at Deborah.H.Goldstein, and even at BookBub using the Deborah-H Goldstein. And I will tell you why the H is important to use, because when I went to get... Um, started writing a few years ago, seriously, as you know, I had a prior career. And when I started writing, I went to go buy the Deborah Goldstein, you know, website things, and somebody else had them. And I yeah. looked and she was younger, blonder, and she wrote about text flirting. So I figured I better <laughs> use my middle initial. <laughs> my books are definitely not that. <laughs> Another interesting topic, huh? <laughs> text flirting. Okay. <laughs> Definitely not a cozy mystery series. <laughs> right. So that's why every tiny thing you see so it has the Deborah H. H right. Goldstein. <laughs> <laughs> made you want to change your name there for a minute, didn't you? <laughs> well, it was it made for fun because um I get like I said, I couldn't figure out why she was coming and who it was. And then when I realized what it was, I said, Own, she owns everything. I better have my own version. (laughs) (laughs) 
That's fun. As a former judge, I figured it was safe too. (laughs) And I would imagine your former career helps you write mystery series a lot as well, doesn't it? That does somewhat. It's funny because so far I haven't chosen to write about the things that I did on the bench, except in some of my short stories. I also write short stories, but uh, I think the time will time will tell, and I will probably in, include those in something at some point. But Sarah Blair was a completely different type of book, and I started writing when I was still on the bench, uh, mm-hmm. so I felt that I needed to keep the two careers separate. And I did pretty much until just at the end. And if you have one more minute, I'll tell you, Molly, why I got off the bench. Yeah, definitely. We'd love, love to hear that. Sure. I had my first book came out while I was on the bench and there was some media, you know, Judge Wright's book. Okay. The second book I wrote, the poker book, sold in August of 2014, but it wasn't coming out to 2016 because that was when their, the publisher's calendar was open. Anyway, I'm going ahead. And if you can imagine me sitting a little above you in my black robe and being a very serious um, judge, I'm sitting there one day and I've been on the bench for a long time. I had the lawyers trained. At the end of every hearing, I would go, is there anything further? And the lawyer would go, no, your honor. And I would do a standard closing. On this day, the lawyer did exactly what he was supposed to do. But before I could get the closing out of my mouth, the client said, yes, there's one more thing. I looked to the lawyer who was somebody I'd known for years, even when I was a litigator, and he had his hands pointing to the ceiling, which meant he couldn't control this client. So I looked (laughs) at the client and I said, yes, sir, what is it? And the client said, your honor, there's just one thing I want you to know. No matter how you rule, I'm going to buy your book. (laughs) When he... So when he said that, I kept a straight face, and I, I can assure you, he'd, Molly, he didn't buy the book. I ruled against him, but um, I went home that night, and I said to my husband, I have a choice. I can stay on my lifetime appointment, or I can follow my passion, and our kids are at just the right point. Uh, we've paid for school. Let's, take, let's run the numbers, and if everything works, I'm going to be out of there before they know it, and I was. Six, seven months to finish my book. And then I started, and then the Sarah Blair series, it's been like a second childhood for me. That's fun. It's always fun to do what you love. That's the same thing I'm doing now with, with cat behavior work. It's such a great relief and, and, you know, tons of weight, it feels like, comes off your shoulders when you follow your passion. Mm-hmm. And exactly. Yeah. Well, that's a great story. I'm glad you shared that with us. <laughs> My pleasure. That's awesome. Well, thanks for tuning in, everyone. And until next time, keep calm and purr on and go grab the Sarah Blair Cozy Mystery Series and curl up with your cat and enjoy a good read. We'll see you next time. Thanks for tuning in to Cat Talk Radio. Please join your host, Molly DeVos, for another episode of the program on the Voice America Variety Channel. Now, go make a connection with your feline friend.
Looking for products that address specific cat behavior issues? On our website, cattalkradio.com, you'll find things that will create enrichment in the environment for your cat. Toys that will reduce boredom, the world's best and safest nail clippers, and much more. All proceeds support our mission, reducing the number of cats surrendered to shelters. Stop by the site and pick up a few tips and tidbits for your cat today. Visit cattalkradio.com and look for The Behavior Shop. You can be a cat lifesaver by helping to keep us on the air. In the U.S., about 10 cats per hour are euthanized in shelters due to behavior issues. Through this educational radio show, behavior consultations, seminars, and articles, Cat Behavior Solutions intercepts cat behavior problems in the home, reducing the number of cats who are surrendered to shelters. Make a donation at catbehaviorsolutions.com. That's catbehaviorsolutions.com.